Welcome everyone to the second episode of Love Between the Lines, a review podcast for everyone who loves love. I'm your host Monsa and each week I discuss all types of love stories from old favourites to new releases. For this second episode, I'll be reviewing From Enemy's Daughter to Expectant Bride by Olivia Gates. This is a Mills and Boone's book, part of the Desire range, and the first book in a six-part series called The Billionaires of Black Castle. I'll be discussing my decades-long obsession with Mills and Boone's, the importance of agency in healthy relationships, and why I just might start believing in love at first sight. Let's get to it. I have been reading Mills and Boone's books for years now. I would actually say I've read more Mills and Boone's books than any other romance publisher that there is out there. Um, it was actually my mum who got me into reading Mills and Boone romance when I found a few copies lying around the house, picked them up and instantly became hooked with the stories. I remember when I was 13, I was so excited because I could get an adult library card and check them out of the library. So understandably, there are age restrictions in terms of what books you can take out from the library and all the children's books, which for under 13s were on the ground floor and all the young adult and adult books were on the second and third floor. So I would kind of like creep up to the second floor, find the books and then go and sit back downstairs and read them in the library. But as soon as I turned 13 and got that library upgrade, it was a wrap. I was maxing out my 12 book limit every couple of days taking out these books because they are so addictive. One, because they're quite short, so they're maybe 150 to 200 pages, so you can read one in a couple of hours and be done. And secondly, at the back of every book, there's an extract for a new book that always ends on like a cliffhanger. So as a reader, I felt compelled to read the other one. I remember one time, I had just finished reading a book and I had read the extract of the new book and for some reason I just felt like I need to read this book, I need to read it now. So I ran down to the library which was closing in seven minutes, I ran down to try and find this book and if you know me you know that I am not one for running but I just, I had to read it, I convinced myself that I wouldn't be able to sleep unless I found out what happened to the billionaire secret baby or whatever the storyline was and I just I had to finish it so this is just to give you a glimpse into how obsessed and addicted to these books I I was um I was reading about four books a day on top of just other books I was reading as well and then ebooks became a thing so again new era for me constantly reading them but yeah I've been a huge Mills and Boons fan for a while now I fell out of love with Mills and Boone for a few years because I went through a phase where every book I was reading was so problematic and I just couldn't enjoy it. I was just reading these stories and I was just like, why would he do that? Why would she say that? What is this plot? And that was quite hard for me actually in, in a weird way because as I said, I'd been reading them consistently since I was about 10. But obviously at that age was not thinking very critically about what these stories were saying about love and sex and relationships and, and all these types of things. So now I start quite a lot of them, but if I come across tropes or characters or storylines that I think are problematic, then I just, I don't finish them. But I would, I'd say I still read about five most weeks, like maybe like one a day on like most days during the week. So 
still still quite addicted, but not as much as I was when I first started reading them. I would say that this book falls into the more problematic side of things. I did finish it and there is a lot on this review that I could touch upon, particularly the portrayal of women as passive actors in their own love lives and sex lives, um, the kind of controlling and manipulative behaviour that we see from some of the men in this book and how that is pitched as a form of expressing love rather than the abusive elements that it really brings out and there's also a fetishization of ethnicity and the use of race as a proxy for attractiveness so there is there's a lot that goes on in these books I'll touch upon some of this but not all of it because as I said I will just be focusing on the themes of love and relationships so before we get into the synopsis of the book let's talk about some background to the Billionaires of Black Castle series. It centers around seven men who were all kidnapped as children and sold into something called the organization where they were tortured and tra trained and forced to become assassins and agents of espionage. Each boy is kidnapped because of his unique abilities and while they're being kept at the organization, they are all stripped of their identities and forced to adopt a name that speaks to their particular skill. When they reach adulthood, these boys, now men, find a way to escape the organization and hide their identities. Through various criminal and nefarious means, they all accumulate obscene amounts of wealth and power and now want to use that as a way to seek revenge, not only against the people that sold them to the organization, but the organization itself. Each book then follows these men on their individual journeys to enact their revenge, as well as reclaim the lives that they have lost, potentially, slash definitely, falling in love along the way. And that is the beginning of our series. Book one starts with the youngest of the group, Raphael. He was taken at eight years old and given the name Numbers because he showed himself to be a mathematical prodigy. He believes that the person who is responsible for this is a man named Ferreira, who was a close family friend at the time of his kidnapping. And for the past several years, he has been plotting his revenge and Ferreira's downfall. First of all, by escaping the organization with his brotherhood, as they call themselves, then becoming a very successful businessman. And now he wants to use his wealth and power in the final stage of his plan to enter into a fake business relationship with Ferreira, frame him for some kind of white collar crime and have him spend the rest of the days imprisoned as Raphael was as a child. Raphael has been holding parties for the past two months to lure Ferreira out and the book opens on the night he's about to make his move. But he is driven to distraction by a beautiful woman who catches his eye. Their eyes literally meet across a crowded room. Both of them are inexplicably drawn to one another and they find themselves rushing away from the party to enjoy a passionate kiss and declare their love for each other. But upon entering the party, Raphael discovers that the newfound love of his life is actually the beloved daughter of his sworn enemy. What is he gonna do? Let the story begin. Let's talk first of all about these characters. I don't like any of them. I don't like any of the characters in this book and it's for quite different reasons. Raphael just lies, unprovoked. He's a liar, he's controlling, he's manipulative, he's, de he's deceitful. 
I don't like anything about him. And maybe the worst thing is that he's boring. He's so boring. We are supposed to believe that he is this very passionate man driven to extremes of emotion, whether that be anger and rage towards Ferreira or love and lust and passion for Ellie. But that doesn't come through in the book, whether that is reading his dialogue with other characters or seeing into his internal thought processes. Every time I read this character, I'm bored because he is boring. And it's so difficult because in the prologue is where it sets up the scene for everything that happened to him as a child, how he was kidnapped, how he was tortured. And I felt a lot of empathy for child Raphael and baby Raphael. So I wanted to like him and I wanted to root for him, but I don't, I don't root for him. I don't want him to achieve any of the things he sets out to achieve because as an adult, he is so problematic and I am not a fan. You see this the most in terms of how he approaches his feelings and relationship with Ellie. So there's one point in the book, he's just found out who Ellie's father is and his friend is trying to tell him that he needs to let it go and just carry on with his plans and forget about her. You can't let her derail you, forget her. I can't, I have to have her, whatever the cost. Even if it's letting her father go unpunished, Richard asked, that's the one thing I won't do for her. So Raphael, from the start of the book, is very clear that he is not willing to make any sacrifices or compromise any part of his plans for Ellie. So rather than just letting it go and leaving her alone, he decides that he just wants to have his cake and eat it too. They have a argument at the party. Once Raphael realizes who Ellie's father is, he kind of like storms out and doesn't explain what is going on. So obviously we know why as the reader he has reacted in this way but Ellie doesn't so she's upset that he would be so rude and she also sees him leave with another woman and her mind jumps to conclusions about what is happening. So after this argument and this situation he <laughs> does the most to try and reconnect with her and speak to her he turns up at her workplace uninvited he follows her home when she tells him to piss off he breaks into her house so real stalker energy and gives some like trash excuse about why he was acting weird and after very minimal back and forth from her to be honest everything's good again but he still maintains that regardless of his feelings for her his plans are not going to change at all as he received her into his embrace that trust he craved, which she was bestowing upon him in full again, weighed on him. It didn't feel like a privilege anymore, but a responsibility, one he ultimately had to betray. But you don't. You literally don't have to betray her trust. You can literally leave her alone and go about your life. No one is forcing you to come and disturb this woman's peace. You're just being motivated by selfishness and self-interest. And he keeps reiterating this. We are not left in any doubt that Raphael is not going to make any adjustments to his life or plans for the supposed love of his life. But his plans were only postponed, not cancelled. He would still punish her father, just not before he secured her. So his plan is to, I guess, trap Ellie into a relationship with him by making her fall in love with him and then marrying her. And then at that point, he feels like she won't be able to leave him regardless of what he does to her father. So I don't like Raphael. He's deceitful. He's manipulative. He's a liar. I'm not here for his character. But I also don't like Ellie. Ellie is so annoying and she has no backbone. All we hear from her thoughts is she's just constantly in disbelief. 
that Raphael would choose to be with her because she doesn't think he's good enough for her. Every day it's, how could he want to be with me? He's so out of my league. I can't believe he feels the same way. My days are numbered until he realizes I'm basically a piece of trash and dumps me. And I'm like, sis, can you rate yourself please? Is it everyday insecurity? Because all, also all the time while we are listening to her compare herself unfavorably to Raphael and just be so grateful that he would even look her way, we're also supposed to believe that she is this highly intelligent, lovely person who everyone instantly falls in love with whenever they meet. She works at an orphanage with children and all the kids love her, all the nuns that work at the orphanage love her she um is also meant to be some kind of prodigy in her own right she graduated from university early and now runs her father's company or helps with her father's company while working at this orphanage so she's you know this brilliant businesswoman as well so we're told all of these amazing positive attributes about ellie and are supposed to have a very positive view about her but she doesn't even have a positive view about herself and that's not to say that a person can't have very visible external achievements and positive attributes and strength of character without struggling internally with issues of low self-esteem and low confidence. In that respect, I can empathise with Ellie's character and in some ways relate to that. But what is frustrating is that this is not portrayed in the story as a negative thing. It seems that we're supposed to read Ellie's self-deprecation as humility and see it as another positive aspect of her character. So as a result, she sees no growth in this area. So while Raphael's character sees some semblance of a character arc in terms of his emotional growth, Ellie's character remains quite flat. In the beginning of the book, she thinks that Raphael's too good for her. And by the end of the book, she also thinks Raphael is too good for her. This is one of the first thoughts we see Ellie say about herself in the story. And it's after Raphael realises who her father is and storms off. So again, we know why he is storming off because we have the background. But she doesn't know anything and decides to blame herself for his rude behaviour. Too late now. She'd been outed in the most embarrassing way. That taught her to get major stuff out of the way first. Not that she considered that major. Nothing about her was. Is this necessary? This is just after Raphael finds out who her father father is and is completely rude and walks off. And instead of Ellie being like, yo, that was really rude. Don't be rude to my dad. She's sitting here being like, well, nothing about me is major. Like nothing about me is interesting. I, I don't understand. I don't understand her character, to be honest. She's, she's annoying. Um, and also she didn't even want to introduce Raphael to her father. He insisted and Ellie decided there is no point in arguing. This man got what he wanted, period. And she was what he wanted now. Who was she to stand in the way of his desires? I don't know, Ellie. Maybe you're a grown woman who should have her own thoughts and agency with regards to how she wants her relationship to progress. But it just really sets the tone for who Ellie is as a character. And she pretty much stays this way the whole way through. Even when Raphael is trying to make up with her because she is upset about seeing him leave with another woman. She says, I don't blame you for walking away. It's what every man would do when he realises he's dealing with a naive Thor who'll be more trouble than she's worth. It's only natural you'd go for the more beautiful, sophisticated woman. It, yeah, she's she's just, this is continuous. This is throughout the book. I picked out a few quotes, but 
this is throughout the book where you're constantly hearing Ellie think and say these things about herself. And again, she sees no growth in this area from start to finish. This is just who she is. Also, one annoying quirk of Ellie's character, if you can call it a quirk, is that she is always fainting. After they have sex, she faints. When she finds out about Raphael's revenge plan, she faints. When she finds out about why he's seeking revenge because of what happened to him as a child, she faints. Any extreme of emotion or new information that Ellie is exposed to, Sis is on the floor, which honestly is convenient because that is where she has set the bar for her and Raphael's relationship. And let's talk about this relationship. These characters have no chemistry whatsoever. When Raphael and Ellie first meet, we are expected to believe that both of them are being pulled together by this inexplicable passion and force, and this means they fall in love with each other without finding out very much information about who the other person is. So by the time Raphael realises who Ellie's father is, it's supposed to be too late and he's in too deep. I understand why this works for the story and why a love at first sight storyline is needed in the plot to create the central conflict of the book, but it's just not believable, both in their interactions with each other and in the choices that Raphael makes. So first of all, they both keep bringing up the fact that they're so in love, even though they've only known each other for three days. So why should I believe it if the characters themselves don't even believe it? It seems as though in the book they're trying to justify the speed at which they fell in love, which actually makes it less believable because it's always being referenced. So because they bring it up so much, it detracts from the magic we're supposed to buy into to believe the whole love at first sight situation. Secondly, the way the book is written means that we're always being told things are happening when we can clearly see that they are not happening. So we're always being given exposition in this story in terms of background information or context or other things. A lot of the times when it's unnecessary or irrelevant and also just doesn't help tell the story in the way that I think the author is trying to do. So the first time we see this happen is after Raphael and Ellie leave the party and they go and share this passionate and life-changing kiss. So in the book, we're told that this kiss is mind-blowing, neither of them can think straight, and they're just like caught up in the like awesomeness of the other person. But while this kiss is happening, for some reason, Ellie starts remembering everything that she did that day. After two days of continuous work, Exhaustion had been another reason she'd hated having to go to the ball. She'd been asleep on her feet by the time she dragged herself home at three. The damn place was over two hours away and she'd lost an extra half hour before finding it. She then goes on to remember the valet parking, the neo-renaissance architecture of the venue, her dislike of crowds, what she decided to wear. Like we're just given all of these mundane details and I want to reiterate that this trip down memory lane is taking place during what is supposed to be this life-changing moment-defying kiss. We're told that nothing was left but his touch and the building urge for something more. She started trembling fearing her heart would stop if he didn't kiss her. Then he did, and that intensity between them manifested into a literal spark, zapping what remained of her coherence. Well, Ellie, you've quite clearly given us a very coherent rundown of your day, so I don't believe that your coherence was zapped. I don't believe that, you know, nothing was left but his touch, because clearly there were a lot of things left over. And again, you see this a lot in the book where the narration is telling you something is happening when you have just read for yourself. 
that it is not. I think the most annoying example of this comes right after this mind-blowing kiss that we've just witnessed when they decide oh now we're in love it's the time to get to know each other a bit better so they start talking about their work and their background and how great the kiss was when Ellie stops suddenly she realized what was going on they'd moved from blinding passion bypassing any awkwardness in the wake of its temporary sating and plunged right into delightful banter the seamlessness of it all had her heart soaring. Where, first of all, where was the passion? But where now is this delightful banter? Because I have yet to see it. I have read about two pages of dialogue and I have seen no delight and I have seen no banter. But it's again, more moments in the book where we're being told something is happening when we can clearly see and read for ourselves that it is not. One thing I did like about the writing is that it is so dramatic, like unnecessarily so. So there are things that happen and descriptions that take place where the drama is just too much. So again, when they're about to have this kiss, I talk about this kiss a lot because nothing else really happens in this book, but they're about to have this kiss and Raphael is coming towards Ellie in order to kiss her. So rather than just say he moved towards her or he took a step closer or he leaned in for a kiss, it says, Raphael obliterated the distance between them. <laughs> Again, he didn't take a step forward. He didn't lean closer. Raphael obliterated the distance between them. And I just find this language so funny because it's just, it's so unnecessary. And we see it again a few um, chapters later and they, they, they're having sex, Raphael's about to finish. So she writes, Raphael detonated inside of her. And again, it's a lot. So I think this um, dramatic language is supposed to create that sense of passion between Ellie and Raphael. But since we know they have zero chemistry, it just comes off as a bit much and more comical, which I feel was not the intention of the writing. A few moments where I think the drama does work well is when Ellie is going through one of her many heartbreaks over Raphael and this description of how she's feeling does make me feel sorry for her. Ellie felt as if something had been crushed inside her. She kept pressing her hand to her chest as if to hold the damaged part back together until it mended, but its sharp edges kept poking into her vitals. Ever since she'd fled the scene, she'd been counting the hours, the minutes, waiting for the misery to subside, for the memory of everything she'd had with him to fade. But time only magnified everything and smashed the broken shards to smaller pieces. So this was really sad and I did feel bad for Ellie and obviously it's a very dramatic way to describe being heartbroken over someone you've known for four hours. But I think that works well in the story because I have some element of empathy for Ellie and Ellie's character. There are a few themes that this book scrapes the surface of that maybe if it had spent more time on could have been really interesting. I think the first one is the power of love to be a healing force within our lives because when we meet Raphael he is consumed with rage and anger and a need for revenge but falling in love with Ellie helps him find a way to overcome those negative emotions. So she says to him, I wish I had real magic. I would have erased this scar, its memory, and all the memories of your suffering. 
You already have. You found me, saw me for what I am. You made me yours and healed all my wounds and erased all my scars. Now you'll love me forever. You don't only have magic, you are magic. So I think this is quite sweet. And if this had played more of a role in the story as part of Raphael and possibly Ellie's character arc, I would have enjoyed the book a lot more. There could have been a stronger commentary on what it means to choose love over hate or the healing nature of forgiveness and how that plays a role in our lives and how both of these things, while positive journeys, can sometimes be at odds with a very real desire for retribution or justice, which is what Raphael is seeking. So how do you reconcile those two aims within ourselves and what truly leads to healing? Is it forgiveness or is it retribution? Or justice and I think that would have been a really great theme to explore in this book through Raphael's character. I think another dynamic that was quite interesting was how Ellie feels about Raphael's animosity towards her father. So obviously in the context of this book it's set in a very dramatic context of why Raphael hates her father and the background of that is you know very extreme but I do think we can ask a question on how important is it for your partner to get along with your parents or anyone in your life that is important to you so yes it makes things easier but is it essential and I think that that dynamic could have been explored in the book a bit more so there is a moment where Ellie um, has uncovered Raphael's plan and decides that she's going to leave for one last moment she looked up at him the most incredible dream of her life who turned out to be its most devastating nightmare and said goodbye if you're my father's enemy you're my enemy too Yes, Ellie, not you coming through with a backbone, showing some strength, showing some conviction. But no, not her, because this lasts about a page or a paragraph and we are right back to the self-deprecation. But how had she ever believed that this had been real? The more she thought back, the more she remembered how he'd made her give him every detail of her father's work, that she'd just been an instrument to him, how had she ever believed a man like him could love her like she loved him? Hadn't she already known that he was too much for her? Is it everyday insecurity, Ellie? Even after she realises he's been lying to her, deceiving her, manipulating her, using her, she still feels as though he's too good for her. If we had any hope for any type of emotional growth in these characters, then we need to lay those hopes to rest because we are now in the second to last chapter of the book and Ellie is exactly the same as how she started. That brings me to the third thing I think that the book could have picked up on more or made a stronger commentary on, which is how Ellie's low self-esteem and lack of agency creates a very unhealthy dynamic in her and Raphael's relationships. The thing that I like about romance novels is that when you have these internal conflicts within the characters and also the conflicts that they see in their relationships they need to be high stakes you have to believe that if they don't sort their issues out or if they don't overcome their their problems that there's a real risk that their relationship won't work out and that's why you become invested in these characters growth and them finding a solution to their problems but because ellie is just so grateful that Raphael would even give her a look regardless of what he does which as we've seen is a lot of different things she's always gonna go back to him she's always gonna forgive him she's always just gonna let it go and continue on with their relationship so that creates a very unhealthy dynamic where ellie doesn't have a lot of agency 
in the relationship and she just takes whatever comes her way and Raphael doesn't really have to give much thought or consideration to Ellie's feelings because regardless of what he does she will always forgive him so in the book that's why that's why it contributes to the book just not being very interesting because the stakes aren't very high and we know that regardless of what he does everything will work out for them in the end but it also doesn't make for a very healthy relationship because there's a huge power imbalance with regards to who controls how their relationship progresses and what should happen and whose needs and desires are being met so that was an interesting dynamic that I think the book could have explored more and maybe if there had been some sort of growth in Ellie's character then that dynamic could have been challenged and could have been addressed but again there was none so it was kind of presented as if this was a desirable dynamic to have or a good way of being. So if you could not tell, I did not like this book. I gave this book a two star rating. And if I could describe it in one sentence, I would say really interesting idea, very bad execution. I liked the setup of the book. I liked the background of these men who are seeking revenge against this organization that stole their childhood. And I, you do get glimpses of these other characters coming into Raphael and Ellie's stories. And I did, and I was curious to know their stories and, and how their books would play out. So in terms of setting up a series, I think that the book did it very well. And it was also helpful to see other characters interact with Raphael because I said Ellie's character and all the, all the other secondary characters in this book like her dad are quite weak so when these members of Raphael's brotherhood appear they are also quite dominating characters so that was an interesting dynamic to see them interact with each other which was quite different to how he interacted with all other characters in this book so I liked those glimpses and I think the background setup was very creative but this is not a thriller, it's not a crime novel, it's a romance. So while the background story is interesting, I think it is too much for a romance book, particularly a Mills and Boone romance, which is, as I said, between 150 and 200 pages. You just don't have enough time to flesh that out. And it also shouldn't be the primary concern to flesh that out. Romances need to be very character driven. I need to like the characters. As you know, I don't need to like the characters, but I need to be invested enough in them that I want to see them grow and overcome their conflicts and I want to root for their relationships. I don't care about Ellie and Raphael's relationship. I don't care about Ellie and Raphael, to be honest. They're boring, there's no chemistry, there's no banter, there's just, there's just nothing. So while it was a very interesting idea, as I said, it was badly executed. What I did take from it is that for the most part, I don't like reading instant love stories or love at first sight stories. I like to see the build up. I like to see some pining. I like to see some tension and, you know, I want, I want things to happen. I want you to work for it a bit. But I saw with this book, when you do have a love at first sight moment, you get to see a lot of cute moments between the two characters. And there are some nice things that Raphael in particular says. Ellie is too busy worrying obviously about whether she's too good for him but he says some really nice things and there were moments in the book where I was like oh okay you know what that is cute that is sweet and if you weren't trying to manipulate and trap this woman I would root for you but you are so I'm not but it did make me see the appeal of love at first sight stories and I would give them another go so that's why it's not a one star for me because I did take some value 
from the book and I think that parts of it was quite creative in a way that was in no way related to the characters or the plot and the story. Um, and as I mentioned, this book does have a lot of problematic elements, which I didn't really touch upon, but that's also what contributed to its low rating. So for the most part, I was not a fan, hence the two stars, TBH. us to the end of the second ever episode of love between the lines as always if you check out the instagram page at love between lines there will be a post about this episode and you can comment down below your thoughts have you read this book would you read this book am i being too harsh let me know what your thoughts are and i will see you next time